Section 42 of The Life of Mozart, Volume 1, by Otto Jahn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Life of Mozart, by Otto Jahn. Section 42, Chapter 17, Part 4. I begged him not to forget truth to tell i was a little annoyed when i came away and i determined to take my easiest six variations on the fisher minuet one seventy nine k i had already copied them out for the purpose to the young count that i might have an opportunity of speaking to the elector myself when i brought them the governess could not contain her delight i was politely received then i produced the variations and said they were for the young count she said oh you are very good but have you nothing for the countess not at present said i but if i remain here long enough i shall apropos she said i am glad that you are to remain the winter here indeed i did not know that is curious i am surprised the elector told me himself well if he has said it i suppose it is so for of course my staying here depends on the elector then I told her the whole story. We agreed that I should come to-morrow at four o'clock and bring something for the countess. She would speak to the elector before I came, and I should meet him there. I have been to-day, but he has not been there. I will go again to-morrow. I have a rondo for the countess. Now, have I not enough reason to remain here and await the issue? Ought I to leave now that so important a step is taken? I have an opportunity of speaking to the elector myself— I think I shall probably remain the winter here, for the elector likes me, thinks much of me, and knows what I can do. I hope to be able to give you good news in my next letter. I beg you again not to sorrow or rejoice about it too soon, and to tell the affair to no one but Herr Bullinger and my sister. But the affair was not so easily settled. In his next letter, December 3, 1777, Wolfgang could only tell his father of the many incidents which seemed to promise a good result last monday after three successive attempts morning and afternoon i was fortunate enough to meet with the elector we all thought that our trouble was again in vain for it was getting late but at last we saw him coming the governess at once placed the countess at the clavier and i sat near her giving her a lesson the elector saw us so when he arrived we stood up but he told us to continue when she had finished playing the governess remarked that i had written a charming rondo for her I played it, and he was highly pleased. Then he asked, But will she be able to learn it? Oh, yes, said I. I only wish that I could have the happiness of teaching it to her myself. He took snuff and said, I should like it, but would it not do her harm to have two masters? Oh, no, your highness, it only signifies whether she has a good or a bad one. I hope your highness will have no doubt, will have confidence in me. Oh, certainly, said he. Then the governess said, Monsieur Mozart has also written variations on Fischer's minuet for the young count. I played them, and he was again very pleased. Then he began to play with the children, and I thanked him for the presentation watch. He said, Well, I will think about it. How long shall you remain here? As long as your highness commands. I have no engagements elsewhere. And that was all. This morning I was there again, and was told that the elector had said several times last night that Mozart would remain all winter— now that it has gone so far, I must wait. 
Today I dined at Wedlings for the fourth time. Before dinner, Count Savioli came in with a Kabelmeister Schweitzer, who arrived yesterday. Savioli said to me, I have spoken several times to the elector, but he has not yet made up his mind. I told him I should like to say a word to him, and we went to the window. I told him the doubts of the elector, complained of being kept waiting so long, and begged him to induce the elector to engage me. Only I feared, I said, that he would offer me so little that I should not be able to remain. Let him give me work. I wanted work. He promised to do as I asked. It may be this evening, since he does not go to court to-day. But to-morrow he has promised me a decided answer. Now, let what may happen, I shall be content. If he does not keep me, I shall ask for a parting gift, for I do not intend to make the elector a present of the rondo and the variations. I assure you I take the affair quite composedly, knowing that all will be for the best, as, come what may, I have resigned myself to the will of God. But for several days yet no answer could be obtained from the elector except a shrug of the shoulders, and, I have not made up my mind. At last Mozart was able to acquaint his father with the result of all these negotiations. It was such as L. Mozart had expected from the first, December tenth, 1777. There is nothing to be done with the elector at present. The day before yesterday I went to the concert at court to get my answer. Count Savioli avoided me as long as he could, but I went up to him, and when he saw me he shrugged his shoulders. What? said I. No answer yet. A thousand pardons, said he, but, unfortunately, nothing can be done. Eh bien, I answered. The elector might have told me that sooner. Yes, said he. He would not have made up his mind now if I had not urged him to it, and represented to him how long you have been waiting already, and spending your money at the hotel. That annoys me most of all, I answered. It is not at all well done. But I am exceedingly obliged to you, Count. He is not called Excellency for your endeavours on my behalf, and I shall be obliged if you will thank the elector in my name for his gracious, though somewhat tardy, intelligence, and assure him that, if it had pleased him to engage me, he would not have repented doing so. Oh, said he, I am more sure of that than you believe. The unexpected turn of affairs made quite as unpleasant an impression upon the Mannheim circle of friends as upon Mozart. He went at once to Cannabich's, and he being out hunting, related the whole story to his wife. When Mademoiselle Rose, who was three rooms off and busied with the linen, had finished, she came in and said to me, "'Is it your pleasure that we begin?' For it was time for a lesson. "'I am at your service,' said I. "'We will have a good steady lesson to-day,' said she. "'We will indeed,' I answered, "'for it will not last much longer.' "'How so? Why?' She went to her mamma, who told her, "'What?' she said. "'Is it really true?' I do not believe it. Yes, yes, quite true, said I. She played my sonata through quite seriously. Believe me, I could not refrain from weeping, and before it was ended there were tears in the eyes of the mother and daughter, and of Herr Schatzmeister, who was present, for the sonata was a favorite with the whole house. You see, said Schatzmeister, when Herr Kappelmeister, they always call me so, goes away, he makes us all cry. I must say that I have made good friends here and one learns to know them under such circumstances. Wendling was specially concerned at the intelligence. When Mozart communicated it, he grew quite red, and said very hastily, We must find some way of keeping you here, at all events for the two months before we go to Paris together. When Wolfgang went to dine with him next day, he made him what seemed a very satisfactory proposal. 
a Dutchman, de John or de Camp, nicknamed the Nabob, who lived on his means, and had been a friend and admirer of Wolfgang, offered to give him two hundred florins for three short and easy concertos and two quartets for the flute. Then Cannabich would guarantee at least two well-paying pupils, and Mozart was to have duets for clavier and violin printed by subscription. Wendling offered him board, and he could have free quarters at the house of the chamberlain, Sororius. Mozart was rejoiced at the prospect of being able to remain in Mannheim, and thought he should have enough to do for all winter in composing three concertos, two quartets, four or six clavier duets, besides a grand mass, which he intended to present to the elector. The following day he set himself to find small, cheap lodgings for his mother, which was not an easy matter. It was a satisfaction to Wolfgang's father, who was not surprised that Wendling should seek to retain so excellent a fourth party for the expedition to Paris, to have the state of affairs laid clearly before him. He stipulated only that the journey should not take place during the cold of winter, and thought the plan feasible, provided the Dutchman could be relied on. If not, they must at once proceed to Mayence but on no account were the mother and son to separate. "'As long as your mother remains, you must remain with her,' he writes, December eighteenth, 1777. "'You must not think of leaving your mother to the care of others, so long as you and she can be together.' The small difference in rent was not worth considering, and it was impossible for her to go home at present. "'Be most careful to remain with your mother and care for her, even as she has cared for you.' It was not only physical care that he had in his mind, but watchfulness over his son's moral and religious behavior. He expresses some anxiety on these points. December 15th. Let me ask you whether Wolfgang has not forgotten to go to confession lately. God before everything. From him alone can we expect earthly happiness and eternal safety. Young people are apt to be impatient when told this. I know it, for I have been young myself but god be praised i never failed to come to myself in time after any youthful folly to flee from all danger to my soul and to keep god and my honour and the dangerous consequences of sin always before my eyes his wife reassured him by saying that wolfgang had confessed at the feast of the immaculate conception and that they had heard mass regularly on sundays though not always on weekdays wolfgang justified himself not without a touch of irritability december twentieth seventeen seventy seven I have written that your last letter gave me great pleasure, and that is true, but one part of it vexed me a little, the question whether I had not somewhat neglected confession. I have nothing to reply to this, except to make you one request, which is, not to think so ill of me again. I am fond of fun, but be assured that I can be serious on occasion. Since I left Salzburg, and even before, I have met with people whose speech and actions I should have been ashamed to imitate although they were ten, twenty, or thirty years older than myself. So I beg you earnestly to have a better opinion of me. Under these circumstances, the offer of Sorarius to afford lodging, firing, and light to both mother and son came opportunely. Wolfgang was to give lessons to his daughter in return. The mother was especially pleased at the change, having been somewhat lonely at the hotel during Wolfgang's long absences. They had good beds, careful attendance, and she supped and spent the evenings with her hostess, chatting with her often until eleven o'clock. Wolfgang does not seem to have been particularly struck with the talent of the daughter of the house, Teresa Perignon, who had played the clavier since she was eight years old. He seldom mentions the house-nymph. Nevertheless, she practiced one of his concertos and performed it at a large musical party at home, 
and afterwards she played the third and easiest of his concertos for three claviers at a concert. Before his departure from Mannheim he composed, March 11, 1778, a clavier sonata with violin accompaniment for her, 296K. He gave lessons in composition to young Danner, in return for which his mother dined there every day. He himself boarded at Wendling's. Wolfgang, writes his mother, has so much to do with composing and giving lessons that he has no time to pay visits to anybody. So you see that we can comfortably stay here during the winter. And it is all Herr Wendling's doing. He loves Wolfgang as his own son. Wolfgang himself gives his father the following account of his daily life, December twentieth, 1777. We cannot rise before eight o'clock, for our room, being on the ground floor, is not light until half-past eight. Then I dress quickly. At ten o'clock I set to work composing until twelve or half-past, when I go to Wendling's and write a little more until half-past one, when we dine. At three I go to give lessons in gallantry and thorough bass to a Dutch officer, de la potry for which if i do not mistake i shall have four ducats for twelve lessons at four i return home to give a lesson to the daughter of the house but we never begin before half-past four because we are waiting for lights at six i go to cannabic's and teach mademoiselle rose i stay there to supper and then we talk or play a little or sometimes i take a book out of my pocket and read as i used to do at salzburg his mother had reason to say that Wolfgang was so busy he did not know which way to turn, and she might well add that her husband could not conceive how highly Wolfgang was esteemed for his music and other things, so that everyone said that he had not his equal, and his compositions were literally idolized. At the same time the father was informed that Wolfgang's beard has to be removed, and on his question as to whether it has been cut, burnt, or shaved off, the answer is duly given. The beard has not been shaved yet, only cut with scissors, but it cannot be done so any more, and next time the barber must be called in. The great musical event which was engrossing public attention at this time was the approaching production of Wieland and Schweitzer's Rosamunda. As the result of flattering overtures made to him during the summer of 1776, Wieland set to work on his text in the spring of 1777. The subject, a curious one to choose for Mannheim, where the elector had many Rosamunds, and the electress took little pains to conceal her chagrin thereat, facts of which Wieland had no suspicion, inspired him with the greatest enthusiasm. This called him to be all the more unpleasantly surprised when Jacobi and Goethe declared the opera a failure, and the minister, Hompesch, pressed for a revision of the last act. He wished to withdraw it altogether, although Schweitzer had already composed three acts of great beauty." But Hompish would on no account consent to this, and he was obliged to undertake the revision. Wieland was far from being satisfied with his own share of the opera, but he declared that Schweitzer had produced a work which would attract people for miles round to hear it. Wieland was invited to assist in person at the production of the opera. Dissatisfaction with the work, and domestic and economical considerations, caused him some hesitation, but the wish once more to enjoy music to the full finally prevailed and he looked forward with pleasure to a meeting with old friends. Jacobi, Sophie Laroche and her daughter, and Max Brentano promised to come to Mannheim for the occasion. The production of the opera had been first fixed for the fete day of the elector, November 4, 1777, but owing to the delay caused by the revision it did not appear until January 1778. When all the preparations, the splendid scenery and costumes were completed, 
Schweitzer came to Mannheim to conduct the final rehearsals himself. Mozart, who made his acquaintance at once, found him a good, honest man, but dry and positive, like Michael Hayden, only that his language is more refined. December 3, 1777. There are beautiful things in the new opera, and I doubt not that it will succeed. Alceste was a success, and is not half so fine as Rosamunda. Certainly, its being the first German opera had much to do with the success, and now that the novelty has worn off it has ceased to make the same impression. The opera was rehearsed daily, and it affords proof of the esteem in which Wolfgang was held by the band that, when Schweitzer was unwell, he had to take his place and conduct the opera with several of the violins at Wendling's, December 18, 1777. Repeated hearing of the opera did not increase Mozart's admiration for it. Wolfgang does not care for the new opera, writes his mother, December 18, 1777. He says there is no nature in it, and much exaggeration, and that it is not well written for the singers. We must wait to see what effect it will produce. He writes himself, December 10, 1777. Rosamunda was rehearsed at the theatre today. It is good, but nothing more. And if it were bad, could it not be performed just the same? End of section 42, chapter 17, part 4.